Chapter Eighteen, Part Two of Children of the Ghetto by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Eighteen, The Holy Land League, Part Two. The meeting took place at ten that night in the Bess Hamedresh, founded by Gedalia. A large, unswept room, rudely fitted up as a synagogue, and approached by reeking staircases, unsavoury as the neighbourhood. On one of the back benches a shabby youth, with very long hair and lank, fleshless limbs, shook his body violently to and fro, while he vociferated the sentences of the Mishnah in the traditional argumentative sing-song. Near the central raised platform was a group of enthusiasts, among whom Frum Karlkammer, with his thin ascetic body and the mass of red hair that crowned his head like the light of a pharos, was a conspicuous figure. "'A peace be to you, Karlkammer,' said Pinchas to him in Hebrew. "'To you be peace, Pinchas,' replied Karlkammer. "'Ah!' went on Pinchas. Sweeter than honey it is to me, yea, than fine honey, to talk to a man in the loish and a koidish. Woe, the speakers are few in these latter days. I and thou, Karlkammer, are the only two people who can speak the holy tongue grammatically on this isle of the sea. Lo, it is a great thing that we are met to do this to-night. I see Zion laughing on her mountains and her fig-trees skipping for joy. I will be the treasure of the fund, Karlkammer. Do thou vote for me, for so our society shall flourish as the green bay-tree." Karlkammer grunted vaguely, not having humour enough to recall the usual associations of the simile, and Pinchas passed on to salute Hamburg. To Gabriel Hamburg Pinchas was occasion for half-respectful amusement. He could not but revere the poet's genius, even while he laughed at his pretensions to omnificence, and at the daring and unscientific guesses which the poet offered as plain prose. But when, in their arguments, Pinchas came upon Jewish ground, he was in presence of a man who knew every inch of it. "'Blessed art thou who arriveth,' he said, when he perceived Pinchas. Then, dropping into German, he continued, "'I did not know thou wouldst join in the rebuilding of Zion.' "'Why not?' inquired Pinchas. "'Because thou hast written so many poems thereupon.' Eh, "'Do not be so foolish,' said Pinchas, annoyed. Did not King David fight the Philistines as well as write the Psalms? Mm, did he write the Psalms? said Hamburg quietly with a smile. No, not so loud, of course he didn't. The Psalms are written by Judas Maccabeus, as I proved in the last issue of the Stuttgart Zeitschrift. But that only makes my analogy more forcible. You shall see how I will gird on sword and armour, and I shall yet see even you in the forefront of the battle. I will be treasurer. You shall vote for me, Hamburg. 
for I and you are the only people who know the holy tongue grammatically, and we must work shoulder to shoulder and see that the balance-sheets are drawn up in the language of our fathers." In like manner did Melchizedek Pinchas approach Hiram Lyons and Simon Grotkotsky, the former a poverty-stricken pious who added day by day to a furlong of crabbed manuscript, embodying a useless commentary on the first chapter of Genesis, the latter, the portly, fancy-good dealer, in whose warehouse Daniel Hyams was employed. Gradkotsky rivalled Reb Shmuel in his knowledge of the exact loci of Talmudical remarks, page this, and line that, and secretly a tolerant latitudian enjoyed the repudiation of a bulwark of orthodoxy too well to give it up. Gradkotsky passed easily from writing an invoice to writing a learned article on Hebrew astronomy. Pinchas ignored Joseph Strelitsky, whose raven curl floated wildly over his forehead like a pirate's flag, though Hamburg, who was rather surprised to see the taciturn young man at a meeting, strove to draw him into conversation. The man to whom Pinchas ultimately attached himself was only a man in the sense of having attained his religious majority. He was a harrow-boy named Raphael Leon, a scion of a wealthy family. The boy had manifested a strange premature interest in Jewish literature, and had often seen Gabriel Hamburg's name in learned footnotes, and, discovering that he was in England, had just written to him. Hamburg had replied, and they had met that day for the first time, and at the lad's own request the old scholar brought him to this strange meeting. The boy grew to be Hamburg's one link with wealthy England, and though he rarely saw Leon again, the lad came in a shadowy way to take the place he had momentarily designated for Joseph Strelitsky. Tonight it was Pinchas who assumed the paternal manner, but he mingled it with a subtle obsequiousness that made the shy, simple lad uncomfortable though when he came to read the poet's lofty sentiments, which arrived, with an acrostic dedication, by the first post next morning, he conceived an enthusiastic admiration for this neglected genius. The rest of the remnant, who met to save Israel, looked more commonplace. A furrier, a slipper-maker, a locksmith, an ex-glazier, Mendel Hyams, a confectioner, a Malamed, or Hebrew teacher, a carpenter, a presser, a cigar-maker, a small shopkeeper or two, and, last and least, Moses Ansel. They were of many birthplaces—Austria, Holland, Poland, Russia, Germany, Italy, Spain—yet they felt themselves of no country, and of one. Encircled by the splendours of modern Babylon, their hearts turned to the east, like passion-flowers seeking the sun. Palestine, Jerusalem, Jordan, the Holy Land, were magic symbols to them. The sight of a coin struck in one of Baron Edmund's colonies filled their eyes with tears. In death 
they craved no higher boon than a handful of Palestine earth sprinkled over their graves. But Gedalia, the greengrocer, was not the man to encourage idle hopes. He explained his scheme lucidly, without highfalutin. They were to rebuild Judaism as the coral insect rebuilds its reefs, not, as the prayer went, speedily and in our days. They had brought themselves up to expect more, and were disappointed. Some protested against peddling little measures. Like Pinchas, they were for high heroic deeds. Joseph Strelitzky, student and cigar commission agent, jumped to his feet and cried passionately in German, Everywhere Israel groans and travails. Must we indeed wait and wait till our hearts are sick and strike never a decisive blow? It is nigh two thousand years since across the ashes of our holy temple we were driven into the exile, clanking the chains of pagan conquerors. For nigh two thousand years have we dwelt on alien soils, a mockery and a byword for the nations, hounded out from every worthy employ, and persecuted for turning to the unworthy, spat upon and trodden underfoot, suffusing the scroll of history with our blood, and illuminating it with the lurid glare of the fires to which our martyrs have ascended gladly for the sanctification of the name. We who twenty centuries ago were a mighty nation, with a law and a constitution, and a religion which have been the keynotes of the civilization of the world, we who sat in judgment by the gates of great cities clothed in purple and fine linen, are the sport of people who were then roaming wild in woods and marshes, clothed in the skins of the wolf and the bear. Now, in the east, there gleams again a star of hope. Why shall we not follow it? Never has the chance of the restoration flamed so high as to-day. Our capitalists rule the markets of Europe. Our generals lead armies. Our great men sit in the councils of every state. We are everywhere. A thousand thousand stray rivulets of power that could be blent into a mighty ocean. Palestine is one, if we wish. The whole house of Israel has but to speak with a mighty, unanimous voice. Poets will sing for us, journalists will write for us, diplomats haggle for us, millionaires pay the price for us. The Sultan would restore our land to us to-morrow, did we but bestir. There are no obstacles but ourselves. It is not the heathen that keeps us out of our land. It is the Jew, the rich and prosperous Jew. Jerusalem, grown fat and sleepy, dreaming the false dream of assimilation with the peoples of the pleasant places in which our lines have been cast. Give us back our country. This alone will solve the Jewish question. Our paupers shall become agriculturalists and, like Antaeus, the genius of Israel shall gain fresh strength by contact with Mother Earth. And for England it will help to solve the Indian question. Between European Russia and India 
there will be planted a people fierce, terrible, hating Russia for her wild beast deeds. Into the exile we took with us all of our glories, only a spark of the fire by which our temple, the abode of our great one, was engirdled. And this little spark kept us alive, while the towers of our enemies crumbled to dust. And this spark leapt into celestial flame, and shed light upon the faces of the heroes of our race, and inspired them to endure the horrors of the dance of death, and the tortures of the auto de fe. Let us fan the spark again, till it leap up, and become a pillar of flame going before us, and showing us the way to Jerusalem, the city of our sires and if gold will not buy our land, we must try steel. As the national poet of Israel, Naphtali Herz Imba, has so nobly sung. And here he broke into the Hebrew Vacht am Rhein, of which an English version would run thus. Like the crash of the thunder, which splitteth asunder the flame of the cloud, on our ears ever falling, a voice is heard calling from Zion aloud, Let your spirit's desires for the land of your sires eternally burn, from the foe to deliver our own holy river to Jordan return, where the soft flowing stream murmurs low as in dream. There set we our watch, our watchword the sword of our land and the Lord by the Jordan there set we our watch. Rest in peace, loved land, for we rest not, but stand, off-shaken our sloth, when the bolts of war rattle, to shirk not the battle, we make thee our oath. As we hope for a heaven, thy chains shall be riven, thine ensign unfurled, and in pride of our race we will fearlessly face the might of the world. When our trumpet is blown and our standard is flown, then set we our watch, our watchword, the sword of our land and our Lord. By Jordan, then, set we our watch. Yea, as long as there be birds in air, fish in sea, and blood in our veins, and the lions in might, leaping down from the height, shake roaring their manes, and the dew nightly laves the forgotten old graves where Judah's sires sleep. We swear who are living to rest not in striving, to pause not to weep. Let the trumpet be blown, let the standard be flown, now set we our watch. Our watchword the sword of our land and our Lord. In Jordan now set we our watch." He sank upon the rude wooden bench, exhausted, his eyes glittering, his raven hair dishevelled by the wildness of his gestures. He had said. For the rest of the evening he neither moved nor spake. The calm, good-humoured tones of Simon Gradkotsky followed like a cold shower. Uh, we must be sensible, 
he said, for he enjoyed the reputation of a shrewd, conciliatory man of the world, as well as a pillar of orthodoxy. The great people will come to us, but not if we abuse them. We must flatter them up and tell them they are the descendants of the Maccabees. There is much political kudos to be got out of leading such a movement. This, too, they will see. Rome was not built in a day, and the temple will not be rebuilt in a year. Slow and sure, and the blessing of God over all. Besides, we are not soldiers now. We must recapture our land by brain, not sword. After such wise, Simon Gradkotsky. But Gradkotsky, the Hebrew teacher, crypto-atheist and overt revolutionary, who read a Hebrew edition of the Pickwick Papers in the synagogue on the Day of Atonement, was with Strelitzky, and a bigot whose religion made his wife and children wretched, was with the cautious Simon Gradkotsky. From Karlkammer followed, but his drift was uncertain. He apparently looked forward to miraculous interpositions. Still, he approved of the movement from one point of view. The more Jews lived in Jerusalem, the more would be enabled to die there, which was the aim of a good Jew's life. As for the Messiah, he would come assuredly in God's good time. Thus Karlkammer, at enormous length, with frequent intervals of unintelligibility, and huge chunks of irrelevant quotation, and much play of Kabbalistic conceptions. Pinkas, who had been fuming throughout this speech, for to him Karlkammer stood for the archetype of all donkeys, jumped up impatiently when Karlkammer paused for breath, and denounced as an interruption that gentleman's indignant continuance of his speech. The sense of the meeting was with the poet, and Karlkammer was silenced. Pinchas was dithyrambic, sublime, with audacities which only genius can venture upon. He was pungently merry over Imber's pretensions to be the national poet of Israel, declaring that his prosy, his vocabulary, even his grammar, were beneath contempt. He, Pinchas, would write Judea a real patriotic poem, which would be sung from the slums of Whitechapel to the Velts of South Africa, and from the Mellah of Morocco to the Judengassen of Germany and should gladden the hearts and break from the mouths of the poor immigrants saluting the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbour. When he walked in Victoria Park of a Sunday afternoon and heard the band play, the sound of the cornet always seemed to him, said he, like the sound of Bar Kokhba's trumpet calling the warriors to battle, and when it was all over and the band played God Save the Queen, it sounded like the paean of victory when he marched, a conqueror, to the gates of Jerusalem. Wherefore he, Pinchas, would be their leader. Had not the providence, which concealed so many revelations in the letters of the Torah, given him the name Melchizedek Pinchas, whereas one initial stood for the Messiah, 
and the other for Palestine. Yes, he would be their messiah. But money nowadays was the sinews of war, and the first step to messiahship was the keeping of the funds. The redeemer must in the first instance be the treasurer. With this anticlimax Pinchas wound up, his childishness and naivete conquering his cunning. Other speakers followed, but in the end Gedalia the greengrocer prevailed. They appointed him president and Simon Gratkotsky treasurer, collecting twenty-five shillings on the spot, ten from the lad Raphael Leon. In vain Pinchas reminded the president that they would need collectors to make house-to-house -house calls. Three other members were chosen to district the ghetto. All felt the incongruity of hanging money-bags at the saddle-bow of Pegasus. Whereupon Pinchas relit his cigar, and muttering that they were all fool men, betook himself unceremoniously without. Gabriel Hamburg looked on throughout with something like a smile on his shrivelled features. Once, while Joseph Strelitsky was holding forth, he blew his nose violently. Perhaps he had taken too large of a pinch of snuff, but not a word did the great scholar speak. He would give up his last breath to promote the return, provided the Hebrew manuscripts were not left behind in alien museums. But the humours of the enthusiasts were part of the great comedy in the only theatre he cared for. Mendel Hyams was another silent member. But he wept openly under Strelitsky's harangue. When the meeting adjourned, the lank, unhealthy, swaying creature in the corner, who had been mumbling the tractate Baba Kama out of courtesy, now burst out fresh in his quaint, argumentative recitative. What then does this refer to, to his stone, or his knife, or his burden, which he has left on the highway, and it injures a passer-by? How is this? If he gave up his ownership, whether according to Rav or according to Shmuel, it is a pit, and if he retained his ownership, if according to Shmuel, who holds that all are derived from his pit, then it is a pit, and if according to Rav, who holds that all are derived from his ox, then it is an ox, therefore the derivatives of an ox are the same as an ox itself. He had been at it all day, and he went on far into the small hours, shaking his body backwards and forwards without remission. End of chapter 18